Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 286 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I am so glad that you are here with me today as I realize I'm getting awfully close to 300 episodes and I literally cannot believe that. It feels like I just started this show the other day. So um, thanks for being here. Today, we are talking to the delightful Lana Harper, and uh, we're talking about her hitting the NYT with a queer rom-com. And she was delightful. The interview is delightful. That is coming up. I know you're going to enjoy it. Just a little bit of a catch up around here, what's been going on. Oh my goodness. About 30 seconds ago. Okay, no, wait. I exaggerate, obviously. Uh, About three minutes ago, three whole minutes ago, I just got an email from my editor at Penguin Random House. And she said that the New Zealand edition of Hush Little Baby, which is the thriller that's coming out in paperback uh, this May, will be coming out in New Zealand. And that is something I am so excited about. And it uh, may be surprising for some folks. Uh, I sold my book to Penguin Random House. They got world rights. And I have to say it is confusing for all of us, including me, my editor, my agent. Um, probably I have a foreign rights agent and probably none of this is confusing for her, but it's confusing to the rest of us how the publishing industry works. So I think I think what happens is that Penguin Random House at its various offices, which are only tied to um, the other Penguin Random House offices via the fact that they are owned by the same um, uh, parent group. I think that what that means is they get an option to print my book if they want to, but they don't have to. And if they've already got books on their list that they want to be printing, then they won't pick up all of Penguin Random House's books, which makes sense. Uh, but that meant that the first book, Stolen Things, the first thriller, Stolen Things, didn't come out in Britain. It didn't come out in Australia. It didn't come out in New Zealand, places where I have traditionally sold well. So that was um, that was a bummer, but I couldn't really do anything about it. But now I live in New Zealand and there is a special interest angle on me because I am a New Zealand citizen. I am a Kiwi. My family is here. And using that and telling them that I have contacts in bookstores, which I do here, astonishingly enough, but of course that's who I've been making friends with, uh, was enough to make Penguin Random House Australia say, yes, we will produce an independent version of this book for sale in New Zealand. And that pleases me so much because y'all, this is a small town. It is a small country. And I feel like, and I could be wrong about all of this, and you guys will be along with me on the way as I work to figure this out. But I, I feel like I have a better shot at getting some decent Uh, press around it, some decent buzz around the book. Uh, Kiwi comes home, Kiwi American comes home, releases book that is set in Venice Beach, LA. So I'm not sure about that part of it, but it's going to be on bookstore shelves in bookstores that I can walk into and that I could potentially do signings in, even though, you know, I hate signings and they really, really stress me out, but I could, Uh, I can reach out hopefully with a publicist's help, 
um, to news media outlets. I'm going to find out what that means in terms of publicity on the ground here. I may have to do a lot of it myself. I may have to do all of it myself, which is always the case with a traditionally published book. Here is my opportunity to plug Dana Kay's book that I always talk about. Um, she's been on the show before. Her book is called Your Book, Your Brand. And if you are wondering whether you should hire a publicist or whether you can do all of this yourself, please go buy her book, Your Book, Your Brand by Dana Kay, K-A-Y-E. She's the best publicist in the industry and she wrote a book about it. So I'm going to push that right here. I'm going to be brushing off my copy and maybe looking into how to write a press release and how to do outreach things that I have studied before and done before without a, a lot of oomph behind it, because I definitely get distracted by shinier objects like writing. Speaking of writing, this has been a fun week because I started the new book. Uh, it's called The Seven Miracles Book, and that's probably how I will be referencing it. Um, that's a reference to the working title, which is not, which is obviously just a working title. But I started it. And what I mean by starting it, and I wanted to make this clear, is that I've spent every day this week during my writing time, I have been plotting and brainstorming and asking myself, asking myself, asking myself questions about the book. I, on the Clifton Strengths, I am number two intellection, number one input, number two intellection. Intellection is a strength. It's a great strength, but it means I'm a slower writer than many people because I um, need to have intellection time to do the work of thinking. Can I still write a book in two months, three months? Of course, uh, because it's about the time sitting down, actually fingers on the keyboard, writing the words. But instead of being a person who can just sit down at the keyboard and write, 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 I also have to build thinking time into my writing time. Uh, which is annoying. I would just like to sit down and write, but thinking time has to be part of it. And um, and I'm doing some plotting. I am not plotting out the whole book because that is not my way, even though I would love it to be my way. But I just wanted to share a little bit about the process so far. So I have been thinking about this book for months uh, since before we left for New left the states for New Zealand, and we left the states for New Zealand in July. I know that because in lockdown we were in Russell, and I was noodling on this book then. So what I've been allowing myself to do for months while I was busy doing other projects, uh, about, for about ten to fifteen minutes a day after my morning pages, I would write something in a little notebook I kept just for this book. I would flip through the pages. I would think about it for a few minutes. I would write a few ideas and that was it. That's all I did for the day. Nothing is cohesive. Nothing clings together. But all of these ideas have kind of been bumping around in the back of my mind waiting for this time. So I have some characters in mind. I have a little bit of plot in mind. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen at the end. I don't know the dark moment, even though I would love to, don't really understand the context shifting midpoint. However, what I do understand after these last um, four days, no, three days of plotting, I've got the whole first act. And that is honestly a lot more than I have before I start writing mo uh, most books. I would love clarity. I would love a lot more clarity. I would love to know how this book is going to go. But knowing that I have a, a first act that is exciting for me to write right up to the inciting incident makes me giddy. I am going to start putting words on the page tomorrow. And I literally 
cannot wait. Of course, that's when the book will break. Uh, you know, the, the feeling of the book is so good. It's so perfect. And then we write the book and we break it and it doesn't feel like the way we wanted it to. And that is disappointing. And many, many writers, the majority of writers, perhaps no one listening to this show, of course, but the majority of writers who don't surround themselves with community and um, are learning about what the writer's life is like, will at that point think that they're doing it wrong, that they broke the book. They're not good enough to write this the correct way. And they stop. We don't do that because we know that by writing a book, we break it. We write terribly. We write crap words that let us down and we just keep moving forward through the book writing the book that is broken and that is a mess. And then we fix it later. Um, but even that I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the discomfort of knowing I've broken this book, which at this moment is perfect. There are no flaws in it because it doesn't exist. Once it exists, it will have flaws that future Rachel will figure out and will fix because she will be smarter than having had the experience of writing this book. I will not be able to finish. I will not be able to fix this book unless I finish it because that is the way I get smart enough and become a good enough writer to know how to fix this particular book. I know you've heard me say this 1,000 times, but sometimes it's the thousand and first time that someone says something to you that it that it breaks through whatever block in your mind was holding it out. And I get those emails from you um, sometimes where you say, I've heard you say it before, but oh my God, it makes sense. I know what you mean now. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And I love getting those emails. So please keep sending them if you are feeling any of this. Thank you for reacting so well to Eileen's episode last week. I think a lot of you really, really loved that. And it was so fun to talk to her about that stage of the process, the editing stage, working with an editor, that stage of your book. Um, so thank you for that. Well, what else is going on? I think that's about all, but I did want to catch up on thanks to new patrons. Thank you to Anna Strukel and Katie M and Susie Howe and um, Books and Chocolate, who is a wonderful writer, Nikki Wolfolk. Hello, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Ellie Ash and Zoe edited her pledge up. Thank you, Zoe. And also Marianne Lewis and Rebecca Mongreen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It means the world to me. And it means that I get to spend this time doing this for you, with you. And I appreciate it so much. I wish there were better words. We're writers. We should be able to come up with better words for these kind of feelings, but I appreciate you. And I know that you know that. All right. Let us jump into the interview now. I know that you are going to enjoy it. And um, you I always like to take a moment at this point, right before we jump into the interview, to direct it back at you. This is your time to think about this week. Did you get some writing done? Did you not get some writing done? What did you learn this week that you could apply to this next week coming up? Where will you calendar your time for writing? Where will you plan to get that writing time in? Because if you don't plan, it, it's not going to happen. You know that. Um, 15 minutes, 15 minutes here and there gets the job done. All right, my friends, I wish you very, very happy writing. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. 
you can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Okay. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show, Lana Harper. Hello, Lana. Hi. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Paybacks, which was amazing and so good and so charming and wonderful. And I can't wait to talk about it and writing, but let me give you a little bit of a bio here. Uh, Lana Harper is the author of four YA novels about modern day witches and historical murderesses written as Lana Popovic. Is that how you say it? Popovic. Yep. Popovic. Sorry. Uh, born in Serbia. She grew up in Hungary, Romania, and Bulgaria before moving to the U.S. where she studied psychology and literature at Yale University, law at Boston University, and publishing at Emerson College. She recently moved to Chicago with her family and paybacks which is her most recent release under Lana Harper. And I was just looking over at the, um, the blurb online and the top of the blurb says the chilling adventures of Sabrina meets the L word in this fresh sizzling New York times, best-selling rom-com <laughs> by Lana. Congratulations on hitting the NYT. Thank you. It was basically, it was like a, one of the three times that I've ugly cried out of joy in my entire life. <laughs> it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> absolutely huge what did you do to celebrate um I had already been low-key celebrating that day because uh just like maybe an hour before that I had found out that I hit the USA Today list so I was like oh like that's clearly gonna be the event for today amazing like this Serbian immigrant is gonna go have some wine so I was having my USA Today wine and then I got a phone call from my editor and I was like oh surely we're about to talk about how cool that was and she's like, are you sitting down? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm drinking wine. And then she told me, and I just dropped my wine, like just absurdly dropped it in like very melodramatic fashion, but I did not on purpose. And then I was like, what should I do? This is insane. And she was like, you should probably go get drunk. I mean, I don't know. Like, do what you want. So yeah. Get more wine. So yeah, so yeah, I went to have like an impromptu. My parents both happened to be in town. So it was just like an amazingly lucky day and it was just such a massive day for all of us so yeah we had a nice big dinner much wine and champagne was drunk so we definitely followed instructions and it but you know what I love about it as a queer woman it's a queer rom-com about witches and it hits the NYT like how gorgeous is that that was the part that really did it for me because yeah. I mean, you hear that all the time. Right. And back when I was an agent also, I heard it constantly like, Oh, you know, sapphic story. Don't sell. sell. Exactly. They just don't sell. And I was like, what about that? So yeah, it was great. It was just fantastic. That was really the zest in it. That was the part that made it so special. So yeah. I just, you know, that as long as it paves the path for all kinds, because people love to read those clearly. Yes. Like that's just one of those weird self-perpetuating fallacies. And I hope that it goes out the window soon because we don't need it. So you were an agent before you got into the writing business or were you yeah. doing both concurrently or how did that work? 
Um, I was an agent for a while before I started writing. Technically, I, I wrote my first book before I began agenting. I wrote my first book in law school, but I kind of hate wrote it because my, I was just complaining constantly about how much I hated being in law school. And my mom was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, something in publishing. Maybe I should write something. And she was like, then maybe you should write something. <laughs> and so I did. And that first book did not sell. Um, and that was years later, by the time that I even like revamped it and tried to sell it, I was already a literary agent. So I would say technically, I guess I was uh, a writer first, and then an agent second, but I agented for I think like, three or four years before um, I started focusing on my own writing again. And then um, at some point, um, like three years after that, I, I stopped agenting and I went fully freelance and just started writing full time. Oh, that's wonderful. I love, <laughs> I love hearing that. And I love hearing this success. Okay. So let me talk to you about your um, practice of writing. Yeah. The how, how do you get it done? Where, when, how, why, all of that? Yeah. So at this point, since it's now, I'm lucky enough that it's my full-time job. So I just treat it that way. So I start writing um, at 11 every day and it's like, that's an arbitrary time. Like, I don't know why that's when I choose to begin, but before that I'm usually doing other things. Like I'm doing email stuff, administrative stuff. And then at 11, I'm like, all right, like it's time to get this done. And typically I write for four or five hours. Um, I'm trying to hit 2000 words minimum. Mm -hmm. If I can get up to 2,500, that's like a really good day. And I'm very excited. I have discovered that if I go higher than that, like if I do 3000 or so, I don't want to write the next day. It's like the well is plumbed. It's dry. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but if I, if I'm somewhere in that 2000 to 2500 sweet spot, I can just do that every day. And then, you know, some of that, those words go away. They're not going to stay during revisions, but to me, it's very important to be like, this is a job. I'm going to sit down. Something's going to come out. Maybe it's going to feel like teeth pulling today. Maybe it's going to be very effortless, but the fun part is like, I've discovered that I can't tell the difference when I go back. I don't know which of the writing is the bad days and the good days. So it's like, I know for a fact now that what I need to do is just like button chair, you're going to do this, like burn some incense. If you're really not feeling it, like get it done. And that's really pivotal for me, like kind of just treat it like something that is definitely going to happen, even though, even when I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit like, well, I'm not sure what comes next. I'm kind of scared. I think that was really revelatory to me when I realized that I couldn't tell the difference between yeah, the right. days where I knew I was the worst writer that had ever lived uh -huh. and the days where I knew I was the best writer that had ever lived. Like, and they read the same because my voice is my voice is my voice. And it was such, it, it kind of was just such a relief to know that I didn't have to struggle as hard to be good. I could just show up and do some work and then revise it later. So Exactly. It's like perfect. It's like a, I call them the fraud days and the fiery pale genius days. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, I have a streak of pale fire. I'm amazing at this. And the other days where I'm like, I don't, why would anyone read this? This is so terrible, but they really are. You're totally right. They're indistinguishable. And it's because it's your voice and your voice is your voice. That's not going to change. It's so comforting. It's so you know. damn comforting. So you are a practicing Wiccan. Mm -hmm. I am a practicing, uh, which ish I have no, I have the, the only thing I really love and know is tarot and I love. And so actually you tarot. and I are alike in this. I am a practicing witch ish as well. Um, I, <laughs> I used 
to be like a formal gardenerian witch, um, but I don't do that anymore. It's very time consuming and like a real commitment and the sort of thing where like, if you're kind of lazy and haphazard like me, you just can't really do it. So yes, I do a lot of tarot. I burn a lot of candles and incense and I'm just like, yeah, we're doing the witch thing. Light. I love, I love that we have that in common. I'm also like Buddhist and I'm, I'm ish a lot of things. Cause I am not, I don't have the, the time and energy. Um, but I was going to ask you like, what, what things do serve your writing now? Do you ever use tarot in your writing? Do you? Um, I include tarot in my writing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just recently was doing an event where someone was like, Oh, do you use tarot as an inspiration? Like, will you do a reading before you write a scene or something? And I was like, that had never occurred to me never, but it's actually cool. never occurred to me before either. Right? <laughs> That's a great idea. I was like, what an awesome idea. Gonna try it now. Like, thank you for this. Gonna go in my acknowledgements if this works out. But I had never even considered using a tool like that as something to do. Cause I think I approach weirdly writing as this very kind of secular pragmatic thing in some yeah. way. And tarot is so emotional, at least for me. Um, so most of the time I feel like it's a springboard for kind of the witchy ideas that I have because like a lot of the like Wiccans and witchish people, you know, the kind of magic that they practice and, and feel is, it's not like the sparkly loud, like Disney. So, you know, the stuff in payback is, is very much like that. It's very glittery. It's very over the top. Um, but for sure it helps, I think to feel that connection and to take it kind of seriously, because then people believe you. Like when you write about it, it's almost like you're creating a more convincingly immersive environment, I think, or I hope. Mm -hmm. So have you tried using the tarot before a writing session? Yeah. I have not done it yet. No, no. (laughs) but I'm planning to sometime soon. I haven't done it yet. I do. I do tarot pulls for myself every day, but I don't do them. I haven't done them for writing yet. I have done them for books overall. Like, you know, what is, what is, I just just recently did one like super simple past, present, future for this particular memoir that I'm revising. Mm -hmm. And and it was so helpful. It really did clarify some things in my head. And I was like, I've got to use this more for my writing. And then I just put the deck away and forget, you know. (laughs) Which deck do you use? I I have a bunch of them, but we actually just moved to New Zealand. So um, I haven't unpacked any of my decks. I don't know where they are. The one I kept with me the whole trip was um, Everyday Witch which I just love. That's a really lovely deck. I don't owe that. Yeah. It's really nice. I've been eyeing it for a while. So maybe that's going to be my next one because I have like a a deck problem. (laughs) What is, what is your favorite go-to daily? Right now. So I'm, I've been using the wild unknown. um, Wild Wild unknown kind of freaks me out. Does it really? Why? I think I'm the only person like the, the, the art does not speak to me. And I think I'm the only person in the world because everybody loves the wild unknown. What's your star sign? Cancer. Cancer. Okay. Interesting. I wonder if maybe, so that deck is kind of aggressive. I want to say. It's too aggressive for me. It's, yeah, very, it's like, a, I had to, I had to get it out of the house. I gave it to a, a friend. And it works yeah. for me. I'm a Sagittarius and I have a Capricorn moon and I'm Aquarius rising. Like I'm a lot of very aggressive. Uh, you could like, take it fast energy tendencies. And I'm like, yeah, like lay that on me. I can do it. But yeah, I can completely see it's not a gentle deck for sure. Everyday witch. There is literally a sweet looking witch and a cat on every card. (laughs) So it's perfect for the Cancerian homemaker. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. And that's That's wonderful. It's just a totally different vibe. I love that. I totally love that. Okay. So what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? 
Um, I'm still working on this and I think I'm getting better, but I used to be just the worst pantser ever. Like I had no idea what was going to happen. I had these kind of like stream of consciousness sort of like, oh, here's a scene and here's a scene. And I, these things are pretty. So my books were so atmospheric. Everything was like, oh my gosh, sensory overload. And then I was like, wait, probably something should happen, huh? Like, <laughs> like a plot event. And then um, the thing that really helped me with that actually was doing a lot of work for higher projects. Mm. So I started writing to other people's outlines and I was like, whoa, this is so nice. <laughs> it turns out that it's incredibly helpful to have, and I didn't need them to be very detailed. I just yeah. needed sort of these broad, like not even two sentences per chapter, just like, here's what maybe happens in this chapter. So I started um, making outlines for myself because yeah, that's the thing that scares me the most is like, I don't know what's coming next. This is so difficult. And I usually so far, I've been able to feel my way forward. But that's been the biggest stumbling block and kind of the biggest fear is just blank page. I don't know, I'm gonna have to find out and I'm just enough of a control freak that that scares me. I am really resonating with everything you're saying. (laughs) Also, also one of my biggest problems. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Um, I really love when things organically happen and you're like, whoa, I had no idea this was going to happen. And I don't know how my brain did it. Like, I don't know. It's almost like I had this core idea and I did some weird lucid dreaming while I was writing. And it's like, I found a place that was supposed to exist, but I had no clue that this is where I was going. And it's those weird moments where it just makes me feel like writing is a vocation where you're like really genuinely channeling something that maybe exists outside of you because it's like, how did this even happen? If it is my brain, that is incredibly impressive and cool because I really had no clue what was going to happen. If it's not my brain, wherever it is that I found this, it's equally awesome. So I just love those moments where things go like take like a left turn or something happens where you really couldn't see it coming, but then it's per- it's like you were setting it up the whole time. Yes, so and, you, and you think, how did I not see that coming? It's yeah. the most <laughs> obvious and beautiful, beautiful solution for this problem, mm-hmm. but you did not know it. And you're, then your readers don't end up knowing it either. They don't mm-hmm. see it coming because you didn't see it coming. Yeah. There's this audible sound I hear in my head sometimes when that happens. And I call it like the shunk when everything just goes <laughs> shunk. <laughs> That's where you were. Why weren't you here yesterday? That's an awesome, very magnetic sound in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it because they really yeah. are, they are snapping together in a really big, heavy mm-hmm. way. Oh, I love yeah, that. Or like seismic sh- or like plates, like yes. uh, that were shuffling. <laughs> that were meant to be together. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Um, I feel like I have a solid catalog of stuff that works for me, but I think putting yourself in the same mood for writing Mm. is really helpful. So I do do it. I like to, like, I always have my black tea before I start writing. I need, like, I need a little bit of a caffeine boost, but typically you can't be coffee because I'm just like, "Ah, I don't know. I'm thinking too many things. I'm getting a little antsy. So I like the black tea. And then for a while, I don't do this anymore, but I found it very helpful. Um, Having similar smells happening at the same time. This is for people who are just like oriented that way. Some people hate that, but Mm -hmm. I I used to burn incense um, for certain books and I would just associate that smell with that book. And then I'd be like, all right, like it's time to write this. (laughs) And my brain would just switch into that gear. And it was really, really helpful, especially if it was something that I was dreading for whatever reason, or if it was being like a difficult book, that was a very helpful kind of like a, like a guiding smell (laughs) to get through it. (laughs) 
I find it interesting too, that you said that you used to do it and you don't anymore. And I also feel the same way. I used to do those kind of things and I do less of that now. Do you think it's just that we get more used to being in the work and showing up for it? Yes. I think you just train your brain. You're like, okay, so I need the zone. I know that I need the zone at this particular time. I honestly think it's just like anything else. And it's a little bit like banal to frame creativity that way, because it is very joyful and ecstatic, you know, when things fall into place, but it's also work, like and it's a habit, like anything else. So I just, um, I think all of those sort of shortcuts keep getting trimmed. And now I just, I'm like, all right, I need to do this. Come on. And then we, and then it happens and I don't necessarily need as much of those like trick stimuli anymore as I used to. And it's kind of cool to know that other people have that same path because I'm like, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit too pragmatic about it now, or I'm being a little bit too, you know, maybe our our muscles are just stronger, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like now, now my, you know, I used to have the whole routine and the the perfect candle and the the exact (laughs) right setup. And now it's like, you know, your 11 o'clock is my nine 30 when nine 30 rolls around. I've done my meditation. I've done my journaling. I've had a little bit, I've had my black tea and nine 30. That is now my, my space. Then my brain says, okay, it's time to time to work. So, yeah, that's That's awesome. It's really awesome. Reassuring. I can also, the other thing that I find very surprising is that the longer that I do this and it's years and years now, I can do it even distracted now. And I wasn't able to do this before. Like I can do it now. Like I'll have a toddler running around like mom, mom, fire truck. And I'm like, yeah, just a second. I have a sentence happening or I can do it. Even if emails are coming in or something's going on, I didn't used to be able to split focus. It had to be like, absolutely everything had to fade away. And I think now I can, it's not like as clean as when I'm doing it perfectly focused, but it's really reassuring to know, like I can get words on there, even if I'm not a hundred percent, I, I find it comforting. <laughs> I find that, that in- incredibly comforting. And I really do um, think that like every time we get distracted and pull our brain back to the page, just like every time we get distracted in meditation and pull mm-hmm. our mind back to the focus. It's like one tiny little brain push up and our brain. Yeah. Is, and, and this is, you know, for the listeners that, that your brain does get stronger. It gets easier. It is not always as hard as it is when no. you start to sit at the page. And yeah. I remember how I used to agonize over paragraphs and I'm just like, we got to go, let's get this done. Like, <laughs> I used to reread like 10 pages to get myself psyched up. And I'm just like, oh, who wastes time with that? No things. Like Maybe I'll do like the last two, three sentences in yeah, case. I was, yeah, but most totally. of the time I don't even. So yeah, no, brain push-ups a wonderful metaphor for that. That's exactly what it is. What thing in your life nowadays affects your writing in a surprising way? Um, I would say probably how much sleep I've gotten. Mm. Um it used to be that if I was super sleepy, I just couldn't write anymore at all. And then now I can definitely still write, but it's harder and it's weird. <laughs> like Those are the times where I'm like, what were you thinking? You we're saying <laughs> like, that's not, but even still the fact that um, the fact that I can still do it is surprising to me because it was more logical to me that like, okay, you had a terrible night's sleep. Like you're just not focused. You, you can't do this, of course. And now I'm like, nope, there's like a little part of my brain that's still cap- capable of making words. They're not the best ones, but they'll still happen. So I think it's, it's things like that. And also I'm getting better at writing through like high emotions. I used to have Mm. to be very balanced to write. Like I couldn't be super, super happy or really upset about anything because it was just going to salt my entire day. 
And now I feel like even if I am kind of at an extreme one way or the other, I can still find a way to get there. And that's surprising to me. That's <laughs> and again, a glorious thing. Yeah. Yeah. Looking very I can, optimistic. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. I can, I can do it when I'm I'm upset, but when I'm really happy, like on a New York times day, which I have never had and hope to have someday. Um, like I would not be able to write. No, I didn't write anything that day. That's actually too far. Yeah. That's too far to the extreme. No, 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 no writing got done that day or even the next day. In fact, I was like, ah, still starting. Yeah. Good. Good. Oh, I absolutely love that. Um, uh, what is the best book that you have read recently and why did you love it? I've read a lot of really good books recently, but the one that I tell everybody to read is The Actual Star by Monica Byrne. I don't know it. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. It's really special. It's one of those books where you're like, I don't even really know how to categorize this. It's, I think, kind of the loosest description. It's literary sci fi. So it's a little bit like Cloud Atlas meets like the Earth Seed series by Octavia Butler. So it's three different timelines. And one is the decline of an ancient Mayan uh, royal dynasty. And it's the siblings who head that and you see it through their eyes. And then there's the contemporary storyline, which is um, a Mayan girl in Minnesota is making like a pilgrimage to uh, Belize in search of the underworld afterworld of Shibalba, which is like a Mayan concept. And then there's also a third timeline, which is like a far future utopian nomadic society in which there's a complete dispersion of attachment. No one owns anything and you can't really have relationships, but there's no war, there's no hunger, there's nothing. Everyone just travels. And it's based on the experiences of this Mayan girl in our contemporary timeline. So the whole book is about like reincarnation, past lives, development of religion, the way that climate change acts on human behavior. It is like the biggest, big, I I get like nerd chills thinking about it. It's a beautiful, it's gorgeously written. It's very cinematic and it's like more accessible than those books tend to be. So it's like, I am buying it for everyone. I hope everyone reads it. It's really worth it. Tell me the name again. It's The Actual Star. The Actual Star. Um, I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention the really cool, the the utopian far future, everyone gets to choose every aspect of their identity. So it's like, what is your orientation? Where are you from? What is your gender? Everything about you is completely self-determined. It's amazing. So cool. Also, it sounds so incredibly ambitious. I would, that's, uh, that sounds wonderful. Okay. That's going all the way to the top of my TBR pile, but mm-hmm. right now I want people to put to the top of their TB, TBR pile, your book, Payback So Which. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Because it is um, fun, sweet, intense, atmospheric. I mean, you get all of that in there. Tell us, tell them the little snippet that will get them to, to um, yeah. pick this up. So Payback's a witch, queer rom-com, queer witchy rom-com. Yeah. Um, I actually think of it as John Tucker must die meets Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. Oh, those I can are my, see that. <laughs> those are my comps. So it's about um, a prodigal witch, not a very powerful witch, who is very reluctantly returning um, to her magical hometown um, after about 10 magicless years spent living in Chicago. And she's only coming home uh, to arbitrate a spellcasting tournament, which is what her family traditionally does. Um, And then she gets embroiled in a vengeance pact uh, because she discovers that the bastard warlock who like ruined her life and broke her heart and basically drove her out of town also um, 
broke her best friend's heart and the heart of the dark twisty sexy girl that emmy was always crushing on in high school so it's really like a vengeance story and then like an unexpected love story and um, and then the spell casting tournament was kind of my fun part where i got to really play with the magic and then i just loved the idea of building an entire magical small town in illinois <laughs> where everyone knew that it was kind of like the Salem in Illinois, but no one knows that it's like a real enchanted place. So I, I just, everything about it was supposed to be like fun magic, the fun, like happy place, witch book. So that's what it was for me. And it comes through. I have to tell you that we were, we hadn't quite moved into the house where we're living now and we were still nomadic ourselves. And we were staying out in this, out in the country in the middle of the North Island of New Zealand. And they had this outdoor tub um, that was in the middle of literally the, the cow field and the sheep are right next spot next, ne- next. And I would read the book in the tub with the most magnificent Milky way. Oh, hanging overhead. Like just, it looked, I didn't know it looked like milk when it's really, really dark out. It actually looks like milk, Milky way. And it was, it also added this magical element that I thought that I just felt like I was there and it was a wonderful way to read your book. That sounds beautiful. It was good. <laughs> I I'm recommend. jealous of your reading experience of my book. Uh, the only way that I can connect to that is that the sky, I used to spend a lot of time in the Montenegro mountains back when I was little. That's where my dad is from. That's the only place where I've seen skies where you're like, oh, that's why it's called the Milky Way. Why <laughs> is get it called that? It, I, I, I kept thinking like, why isn't that cloud moving? It wasn't. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm reading the gorgeous vengeance packed and these, and these wonderful women. And yeah, it was just awesome. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your time and expertise and the biggest congrats on the NYT. May the next one fly to the top as well. When does, when does book two come out? By the way, she asked. Oh, uh, it comes out May 17th next year. So pretty That'll be here in a minute. Yeah. From bad to cursed. Um, that's going to be Rowan. Thorn and Issa Abramov story. Yes. And the grand tradition of punning continues. It's so good though. These are so, they're such good puns. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Lana. So, so very much for being here today. Thank I really you. appreciate Thank it. You. Happy writing. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>